You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded hoes. Hey guys, it's Danny. Thanks for joining me. Today I have with me, well not really with me, we're Google hanging out, uh, Cordella, who has more than a decade of experience being in the sex work industry, both as an active member as well as a volunteer and an advocate. With many titles under her belt, including touring stage performer, burlesque dancer, adult content creator, entrepreneur, and former Miss Nude, World Body, Au Naturel, and Best Dancer, I could not be more excited to sit down with her via Google Hangouts and pick her brain. Thank you so much for joining me, Cordella. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me today. So first, we'll get started with you've been in the industry for a bit. What? Just a bit, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. You'll forever be nineteen to twenty-one. What? Yes. Avenue, <laughs> what avenues have you all kind of partaken in? Okay. Um, so primarily, my history comes from being a showgirl. Um, I'm not sure if all your viewers know what that is, but um, I grew up in Western Canada, and we still have a traditional system where. The dancers that go on stage in the majority of the clubs, they come out in uh, handmade costumes typically, and they have a higher caliber of show. We typically go longer, uh, 15 to 18 minutes, and we're contract workers. So we actually are represented through a booking agency. Uh, so that's my main history, but when I was 18, I started as just a freelancer, uh, at a club that does not serve alcohol. And then shortly after my 19th birthday, I auditioned at the number five orange and the rest is history. Okay. Yes. I've heard this before from other girls that they worked in a non alcohol serving establishment before stripping in a alcohol establishment what was the major change for you like what what's that like I've never worked at establishment that alcohol wasn't served are the men different is the income better or worse like what have you found with that um so that was my first real look into uh, adult entertainment in general I again I was 18 so I really didn't have anything to compare it to um the club itself is the Paramount Gentlemen's Club in New Westminster, Canada, and it's beautiful. It's actually a historic, uh, historic movie theater, so it really does have a proper stage on it. So it gave me a sense of like theater. Um, that was the first place that I actually got the opportunity to see like a quote unquote like stripper in in like the flesh and by that I mean that very iconic like 90s Barbie girl image there were several women in there with that look and uh it was fascinating to me because um I was in college at the time like right out of high school into college and um I was listening to these women's uh, stories, like in the change room, like in our dressing room behind the stage. 
And here I am, like, bumbling around with makeup because I, still to this day, I'm a tomboy. But back then, I had no idea how to do stage makeup. I had never had a tan. Like, I, I, I didn't know really, quite honestly, I think I just had learned how to shave my box up, like, you know, so no, no word of a lie. Like I'm serious. So like, I was kind of like in shock just from the culture because like in a, in a dressing room, you know how comfortable we are. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's kind of like when a woman goes to a communal bathhouse or a spa, like women just are nude amongst each other. So that was, that was really cool. I liked that. Um, but as far as the dancing aspect of it, I immediately loved being on stage. Like I loved watching all the tricks. I loved seeing how particular women would like dance in a certain way. And other women had a completely different style. Um, I needed help. Uh, wrapping my head around closing a sale with private dances because I'm a very relational person and I'm bubbly and I enjoy speaking to everyone, but I'm not by nature a saleswoman. So being a closer, I really had to practice and develop that. Um, yeah, it was just a completely different environment for me. And then what was, I guess, the difference more so going from an alcohol, going into an alcohol-based dancing situation. Uh, okay. The difference um, for me, so up until that point in my life, I had only had certain exposure to alcohol. Um, you know, like a strip club is just another form of nightlife and entertainment. Mm-hmm. And if if you have been a server, you understand that. If you're a bartender, a hostess, a server, you understand this as well, right? So um, having gone from, say, the dry bar to the five, where it's a fully uh, licensed venue, um, it was very fun and, again, a new experience for me. I still had a bit of issues because I primarily, like, came in uh, to hustle during the day and the day was nicer for me to transition into that kind of atmosphere because a lot of the regulars were like older. It was more relaxed. Um, obviously during the day there's less likelihood of people being completely shittered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, you know, intoxicated cause you have to go back to your job if you're on your lunch break or, I mean, it's just, I, I used it as a great way to get comfortable with the idea of alcohol being served. And I myself did not actually start drinking till I was about 23, 24. Um, and I, yeah, that's, yeah, it was just my choice, um, because of my upbringing and I just, I observed a lot that when I would try to work a night shift, like when I would come in and pay my floor fee to work the night, I did notice that some of the girls at the time would really, really party with the customers to make sales. And having that complete opposite to my approach uh, was difficult to compete with. So I just, you know, I kind of 
eased myself into it. But having quickly transitioned into being a stage dancer anyway, it kind of was not a great issue for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered when I hear girls, they worked at like dry bars, um, how like the clients are different or how the sales tactics are different because they have to be right. Yeah. Like the sale. So everybody has their different hustle and it is, and you know, it's, it's an art and a science because, um, as a salesperson that works face to face with a client, no one client is the same. And also you really, in order to have return clientele, if you want, if that's your hustle, like if you want to actually have a client base, you need to really like strike a relationship with them. Cause you like, I'm trying to explain this to the listeners. Like, I mean, it's hard because there's so many variables. It's like, what kind of hustler do you want to be? You want to be the party girl or do you want to be like, uh, very like smooth about it. Do you want to be like refined? Do you want to be a little trashy about it? It's like how you package yourself, but who you also see as your client because, uh, businessmen are not all created equal students, uh, blue collar, nobody's created equal. So you really have to play it on an individual basis. I find. No, definitely. I completely agree. Um, yeah. And then there's the fast hustle and then there's like the slow pitch and there's so much about it, right? Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. You've done a pageant circuit in Canada and America. What was that like? And what is a pageant circuit? Um, (laughs) Break it down for us. No, it's it's interesting because in Canada, um, a lot of being a showgirl is highly dependent on what province you're working in because liquor licensing, much like in the States, is dependent on local bylaws. So BC, um, I started in BC. So I really enjoyed traveling to small towns, uh, between the ages of like 19 and 21. I really liked that a lot. Um, some of the favorite clubs of mine, they're no longer standing because they were like original show bars and they've been, uh, they've, fell victim to fire or arson over the years, you know, Mm -hmm. just because of the old wiring and structures. Mm -hmm. But there was that. Um, Alberta is different than BC in the sense of, as I was told, so like in the 80s, I believe their liquor licensing changed. Like their premier at the time was a female. So she uh, changed the laws that you couldn't actually like stage dive the girls anymore for tips. You couldn't actually bring a tip onto the stage with you. Um, so they figured, oh, well, let's put a trench. Uh, and a trench is like a moat barrier between the stage and the first row of customers. So in Alberta, uh, that province is uh, infamous for like uh, throwing our singles, our, our one and two pieces, which is coin now. Um, so when I first, when I first went to Alberta, um, as a showgirl, it was, uh, it was a bit shocking. There's ways to get around. Well, you would, you know, right. The toonie toss at you and you're like, Um, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I understand why, but I, I also question, I'm like, really? So this is not really 
like I viewed it more like a carny game instead of eliciting tips because for me I felt always weird like doing my show and then sitting on my blanket twiddling my thumbs and I'm like give me money no I don't want to do it like that it just it felt weird to me so I always would want to like talk to the guys first a little bit and be like well let's play a game yeah. <laughs> I have lighters I have magnets yeah. I got a t-shirt what do you want to do right yeah. and put the poster between your legs all those good moves yeah, yeah. Well, I still have, um, I still have my jug, so it's, it's less of a a thing now, but in Alberta, there was a big style demarcation, like in Southern Alberta, several of the clubs like quote unquote forbade us from like covering our vaginas. So like, they would be like, no, you have to show because a lot of women, especially like old school, when I was growing up, I would watch these women and they would not be spreaders right on stage. Uh, so they'd put like a jug, like a beer jug or a rolled up poster. Yeah. In front. I remember. Yeah. Where Mac was always like that. Yeah, and that would be the game because, like, you know, the customers are like, well, you know, she's done her show. She is naked. Let's uh, let's play for promotional material, like mm-hmm. sw- uh, like swag, right? Mm-hmm. But in the North, uh, the, the North was, like, a little bit more free that way. But because Northern Alberta was, like, I think more of, uh, like, patch country, so, like, rig country, it was more like fast and furious money. So I think the girls were a bit more like uh, progressive, perhaps. There was that. Um, Northern BC was like that too because of the oil patch. Yeah, Um, I remember all the girls. Oh, sorry. Yeah? I remember all stage girls would have their posters and you would either put it, usually like these were the the top moves, you'd put the poster between your thighs and like, like facing the guy and the guy would like get into your poster or you would put yeah. your, um, like the beer bottle, like the beer jug, the handle kind of like between yeah. your butt cheeks. And then like they would yeah. throw it in the beer jug. Like that was what everyone did to get their tips at the end of the night. Like at the end of the yeah. show. Um, yeah, that was like, and that was, I mean, I wouldn't call it innocent, but that would be like the most standard recognizable thing. Cause like, that's also kind of like the cue to the customers. They're like, Oh, we can tip you now. I'm like, yes, please. Because think about it this way. It's like the worst nightmare uh, when you are in a place that throws loonies is the guys will throw loonies before you're actually safely on the floor and you step on it and you break your ankle. Mm -hmm. I have never, thank God, had that happen to me, but I had a guy once uh, when I was on the floor, like he whipped it at my face and it like, um, it like uh, grazed my cheek. Uh, which is fine in the sense of like, I was lucky. Like I've, over the years I've seen girls like come back into the change room crying. Cause like they got uh, one of their teeth chipped or like, um, or, you know, it has happened that girls like will wipe out and like uh, break or roll an ankle. So a little bit of danger pay involved there. I, I stopped going to Fort McMurray Um, there used to be like when I would go, so in the early mid 2000, no, hold on. Sorry. Pardon me. Mid to late 2000. So like 2010, 2013, I think that's when I was up there. There used to be two clubs 
And I would always choose to go to the club that was like the old school um, that only had stage girls, whereas showgirls had also the private dancing. So also very different because some clubs in Canada don't have the option for a private dance. It's just stage, which is like really, really old school notion. Uh, so, you know, there's that difference, uh, as well. You can find that in different provinces. Um, Manitoba is more conservative. It's not a province that does contact private dances. Um, and most of this time that you work is, uh, gigs on stage and Winnipeg particularly has something called jamming, which is instead of holding one contract for an entire week at a single club, you are actually a direct contractor with a booking agency. So you get it pay stub. So you have net pay at the end of the week directly through your booker. And they call you every day in the morning and you have your little piece of paper and they give you your noon show, your one show, your two show, your like 345 show. And you literally bounce club to club to club. And a lot of girls can't handle that, but it's, it, I, it's hard to explain. It's such a unique thing. I would say that it's like, um, a coming of age thing. If you're a showgirl in Canada, like you have to jam at least once. And I love it. I really do. It's like, uh, cause you don't really have time to stick around and like get into quote unquote trouble and mischief because you're literally in there. You're there to do your show. You do your show. You're, you're happy about it. Like you sign promo, you thank your customers and then out the door you go. And it's like very simple, very professional like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. It's just such a different animal, right? Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, um, jamming is very like, it's almost borderline old school now, I think, because yes, I remember when I was going to Winnipeg to work, I mentioned jamming to a couple of my girlfriends and they're like, what is that? Like they, they had only been in yes. dancing for like four at four -ish years and they'd never heard of jamming. Yes. Also Vancouver, yes. that's not known for that. That's not something that happens here. It's definitely more like Winnipeg area that does jamming. Yeah. Um, like and like, and I think our country like, is unique that way because we, we're in this we have been in this transitionary phase that traditionally the only way that you could have access to a dancer was watching her on a stage do like a structured show. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, she would like mingle and host us after the show and like sign promo or offer a Polaroid or like sit and have a drink. Or maybe, maybe if the club would allow it, do a private show. But um, I've seen it certainly that less and less onus is on how, uh, how much of a show you do on stage and how well you are just a saleswoman in the back, which is, it is what it is. That's what it's come down to sometimes, but I still maintain that I enjoy being a dancer first. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And yeah. like we said earlier, too, like, everyone has their own hustle. Um, for sure. Something works for someone that might not work for someone else. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of, you you touched briefly there yeah. on... It's, um, the further east you go, like, 
sorry, um, I was going to say like Ontario and Quebec, uh, it's, I think exclusively, there's a few clubs in Ontario and Quebec that still have like a feature slot for a headliner, but the majority of Eastern Canada is just like private dancing, which is fine. Like I've gone to Toronto on the occasional week. Uh, I've gone to, um, uh, well, Thunder Bay still has a contract, but Thunder Bay, Toronto, and like Niagara Falls, I've gone through there and I've just been a hustler. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to both of them. I mean, if you're, if you're a straight up hustler, like if you're a, just a four girl, you don't really have to be in certain places at certain times, like you're there, you're, you pay in and, uh, you know, there, there's your night. Good luck. Make your money. Have fun. Don't do something you're not supposed to do. And that's that. Right. Definitely. You mentioned briefly working for a company and that's not pimping for those of you listening that don't understand. Um, we all kind of work well, most of us, we've had to sign up with an agency, especially if you're a stage girl, you have to use an agency. I was out in Alberta when I first started, so I'm with um, independent artists. A lot of girls here in Vancouver are with StripperNet. You mentioned that you work primarily with Superb Entertainment, but you had worked for independent artists before that. So why was that switch? Yeah. Um, so when I first started dancing, um... Again, I said I was a floor girl, but quickly thereafter, um, as soon as I realized that there was an option to be a contract worker, like a stage girl, um, I became very interested in that because I knew, I'm like, okay, that looks fun. I want to do that. So I was uh, put in contact, actually, at the number five with their booking agency. And at the time that was something called that's entertainment and they had me audition. So it's a a additional audition. Uh, I did mine at the Cecil, which used to be on Granville street in downtown Vancouver. It is now condos, (laughs) but, um, yeah, that was the beginning of how I signed up. Um, I worked with that's entertainment and deluxe neither of them are around anymore uh bc used to be very competitive that way so there were multiple agencies and uh you know they would want you as their product because the way an agency profits is off a commission so they would get very snipey about you moving amongst them but as a self-employed person as a performer you're an independent contractor so you're within your rights to go because you are your product so back then the girls would bounce to whomever they wanted to work that venue right uh so there was a lot of road girls back then and that was the philosophy I grew up with so I worked with independent artists and they are primarily an Alberta-based agency as well Uh, They have bookings in B.C. and the Northwest Territories and now Manitoba, which is quite contentious because the different provinces traditionally have been controlled by, um, well, the bookings rather have been controlled traditionally by certain agencies. So 
there's that. And Superb Entertainment is primarily a Manitoba, Ontario booking agency. Um, I've done some conversations with Sensational Features, which is actually an American-based booking agency. But due to the uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, I haven't been able to uh, carry forward with my plans with them. So those are on hold till the rest of the world is not on hold anymore. (laughs) So you were also a sugar baby in Vancouver while going through school out here. Um, That's something I've talked on to some extent on the podcast, how sugaring hit is here in Vancouver. What was your experience being a sugar baby in the Vancouver area? Um, so I moved back to Vancouver, uh, last year, um, from actually living in Northern Canada and, and going to school full time. So when I came back to Vancouver, I, knew that I wanted to continue with my course credits. Um, so I enrolled in school and, and I did for a little while do a straight job. So a conventional job, uh, but the cost of living is, as you know, astronomical and very unrealistic for people that say are not independently wealthy trying to do post-secondary. So I thought in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I can dance again. So I went and I approached the agency out here and I said, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. I've worked with you previously. Let's do some business. Uh, There's a lot of politicking involved with being a stage girl. And, um, you know, you get to this certain point where um, you know the business enough to realize that, like, sometimes it's not worth continually, like, trying to get work when you know you're up against a wall. So I just decided to freelance, which is fine. So I was freelancing and it's, um, it's quite easy for me at this point to like really suss out a customer base. And, you know, if you have a service background or a customer service uh, personality, it's, it's really an amazing thing to make connections. So a few of my clients uh, at the club, they'd be like, hey, you know, I have a business meeting that I would love um, somebody to accompany me to, uh, like a luncheon. Or, um, hey, I am uh, going to be in town this weekend uh, on travel for work. I'd like to see you at night at the club, but would you consider like uh, going to an event or just spending some time with me during the day? Um, so that was how I really got into, uh, sugaring. Like, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily go about it like on a website. I just, through my connections with work, I kind of expand what, uh, what services or, um, aesthetic I can offer my clients and we go from there. So doing this in Vancouver is different than what you would do like elsewhere in the country. I think Vancouver being a very cosmopolitan place, it's, um, 
it's more accessible because people are uh, not like they're not more worldly, but they are more uh, professional. So they understand like they understand the need to be entertained while um, doing business or they understand the value of like uh, a woman enhancing their quality of life while they still have to do their own business. So yeah, I've made some really nice connections here. I completely echo that as well. Like I have found in Vancouver, sites have been quite difficult for me um, with regards to finding quality people as opposed to using it, like you said, as an extension of your in-club work. If I find clients at the club and then transition that into outside work, I found that to be much more successful and much more lucrative than um, online here in Vancouver. Um, I have heard different things Um, from people in the States, like New York, apparently sites can be very good, but here in Vancouver, mm -hmm. I I agree with you that in-person finding people is the better way to go. Yeah, I agree. And also, so, I mean, I use the term sugaring because I think that's the easiest for industry and non-industry women to kind of identify it as. Again, I primarily find myself a dancer, which is a form of entertainment. But then based on the relationships and personality of my clients, if they, if they offer the opportunity to further benefits from our relationship, like during the daytime or, uh, again, through, uh, accompanying them or just being more available for their attention. Like I'm at this point in my life where that's totally fine because I think you, I think you have to be like at a certain point in the adult industry to like be more fluid with where you recognize that there's money that's comfortable to be made. Cause looking back when I first started, like where I am now in my understanding and comfort and acceptance of who I am and also what the industry as a whole can do for me is far different than what I understand, uh, what I understood as a 19 year old woman, like it's completely different. There's wisdom with experience. And also you can recognize like completely viable opportunities with like experience as well. Right. A hundred percent. I, I completely agree. Once again, agree with everything you're saying. Um, does that make sense? No, it like, does. Like, hard, and like, <laughs> no, wait, I think like yeah. if I don't know, I, yeah. When we look back at like even for myself, like what I was doing in Fort Mac when I first started, if I had all the knowledge yeah. I have now, I could have capitalized so much more on the yeah. the potential when I first started. But you yeah. just once again, like you said, you just don't realize that potential perhaps when you're yeah. when you're first starting out and you're not you're like. Yeah. Your like sixth sense as a stripper hasn't kicked in. You're like stripper sixth sense. Yes, and you know? also I think it's important to point out that 
like maybe to civilians that are listening, it's important to point out that when I say that now I recognize more opportunities, that is not to say that I am giving more of myself. That is completely different. Um, dancing as only one form of sex work, that is not necessarily meaning that I'm doing a higher, like, quote-unquote, mileage of what I give to the client. It's just I have the wisdom and the savviness and, like, as you said, the intuition to gauge that, oh, this is still safe and totally cool, or that sounds shady, so I'm going to stay away from that, right? It's just... The thing is, is that I think I think now this is something that I've noticed. I think now there is a lot of like, um, what was the movie with J Lo, the really sensational one that like the hustlers poorly movie? depicts us. Hustlers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, the one that completely completely carjacks the struggle and the identity. Yes, so that one. Like when mainstream media takes our story and our identity and experience through life completely like hijacks it and like glamorizes it up. I feel that there's a lot of people that they're like, they come prepackaged. They're like, Oh, I'll go to a pole studio. I know exactly. No, I know exactly what to do. Oh, I'll take this like uh, strip and be rich program. I'll know exactly how to close the sale. But there's so much art and finesse to this that it's completely a lived experience. And I've learned everything that I know from watching women and through trial and error because I mean, that's how you grow your gut and your instinct, right? And that's how you become a unique, marketable product for yourself. There's only one of you. It's great to get practice and it's great to learn a skill. But again, it's not a cookie cutter kind of thing. Like you, a man is looking for that steak, that one-off steak, not a bunch of cheeseburgers at a fast food restaurant. And I, it's a, I say that harshly, I understand, but please don't discount what an individual man or woman can bring to the table for like uniqueness, right? Cause it's about human connection. Completely agree. I feel like I just keep saying that to you. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> but I do. You know, you're, she doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I, I 100% would tell you. <laughs> um, but, but touching on that topic of ever adapting and, you know, especially in the time we're in right now, where sure. this is something we've had to adapt to, which kind of blindsided a lot of us. And we are forced to adapt if we wanted any kind of stream of income, unless you were already an online person. And even online, people have yes. had to adapt with the influx of newcomers online. Yes. Um, you know, and right now, OnlyFans is all the rage. I'm on it. OnlyFans, Danica underscore darling. <laughs> throw that out there. But, yeah, you know, you mentioned to me before that you stopped working on OnlyFans, actually. Do you mind telling why you came to that decision to stop with OnlyFans? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I had a very brief relationship with the platform, and uh, I can only speak for myself. Um, 
I, I have always been hesitant to do online content just because I see further in the future, you know, after dancing, you know, like I've always rationalized to myself. I'm like, okay, well, what I put out as a dancer can be somewhat controlled. Whereas if I do content, that is harder and harder to censor and control because uh, of algorithms, right? Uh, and I believe it's called aggregate data as well. So you can be found. And that's always been in the back of my mind because I am uh, continuing education uh, in like a very professional field, right? So when I decided to start doing content was uh, in January, I was watching the news because I am a prude that way. And I like to stay informed. <laughs> so I, I was watching the news and I was watching the WHO do the health reports. And, uh, my background is healthcare. Uh, that's the field that I'm going to school for. And, uh, my study senses were like, Oh, this is going to blow up hard and we're not ready for it. So I did create an only fans because, you know, as far as public health goes, bars are not necessary. So I did start putting content out and I enjoyed the platform because I love being very interactive with clients always. However, I was not able to ever collect. And when I started researching, like I, I reached out to the company as I was instructed by other girls and, um, you know, they did respond and they did hear my concerns, but nothing came of it. So based on what I had experienced and also what I had read online through reviews, I, I made a decision and I'm like, instead of beating my head against the wall and hoping for the best, I am just going to do what I always do best, a boutique kind of one-on-one -on -one experience. So I reached out to the men that had subscribed and tipped me. And I said, hey, you know, I really appreciate that you tried to help me, but I haven't actually seen that funding. So here is my work email. This is my Instagram you can follow me here. You can contact me here. If you'd like to continue this off site, I would more than, more than welcome it. And, uh, I've had actually a good response. Like, I mean, the, the flip side of doing administrative work, uh, without a middleman is you have to filter. So what I would say to women that want to do all their business themselves you will gain great connection with wonderful customers, you know, like your, your, your bread and butter, the clients that you actually do, uh, form legitimate, authentic, uh, relationships with, but you also have to <laughs> kind of filter out the flotsam as well. And from, from that, I mean, rude, ignorant, um, disrespectful, belligerent, degrading, all the things that the public thinks of does exist. But again, we have our agency and power to choose not to deal with that. For sure. 
Um, I had the same experience with OnlyFans. I started it back in, I think, September. And I had dabbled with online stuff on and off for seven years, six years. And, um, you know, I finally bit the bullet and uh, got an OnlyFans. And I found pretty decent success on it. But when I decided to finally do my first payout... It never came to me. I messaged them. They gave me the standard, it's getting processed. Your information was put in wrong. I had a bank teller put in my information, so I can't see it being wrong. Um, And after I got annoyed with waiting for money that was owed to me, that I just, I deleted all my photos. I took, I gave everyone their money back for their subscriptions. Like, I canceled all subscriptions. And I was like, hey, fuck it. I just just lost. Like, I lost that money. I did work for free. Like, lesson learned. Um, recently, yeah. I, I picked it back up again because I, I do really enjoy this, the style of, like, an, of a pretty much a paid Instagram kind of idea where you post, people enjoy it, they can message you yeah. if they want more. I like that um, platform. But um, yes. I've requested my first payout a couple days ago. Haven't seen it yet. I'm really hoping it works this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we will we'll see. I'm giving it another shot. So hopefully I don't regret yeah. it. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, it's a learning curve because you can, I'm sure appreciate this because, because we, you, you can only do so much as the actual product, right? The, the issue is not the clients uh, finding you and it's not you being more than happy to create amazing high quality content. It's the middleman in this case, whether it's a platform online like OnlyFans or a manager that's giving you a hard time or an agent that's dicking you around. Like it's, it's the same kind of uh, issue. So are you willing to put up with it or are you willing to uh, strike out on your own? It can be good either way for you. It's just how you handle it. Cause it's, like what I'm finding is I'm getting way higher quality, uh, clients, um, because I put that much more time and customer service into knowing exactly what they like and learning about them as a personality. And in turn, it's my experience that they've been treating me better. Not everybody wants to, well, not, a, not everybody wants to, but not not everybody has the patience, let's be real, to do like a, a boutique project. And what I do is certainly boutique because that's part of the pleasure that I get out of it because I want to know them as a human being. If you are more into yield, then I would say stick with OnlyFans, provided that you make your money. If you don't see no money, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. So more about your personal life. You describe yourself as kink positive and pansexual. What does that look like for you? Um, so I, uh, I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to think how to say this properly. Um, okay. So my life experience is I was brought up quite progressive. Um, so Having been kind of brought brought up in the adult industry because I came of age dancing, so I've had a lot of um, experiential knowledge that I've gained, but I've also had the ear of 
very uh, wise women as well, right? Because as a community, we raise each other. That's been my experience. So as far as kink goes, um, I used to go to Sin City in Vancouver quite often, Sin City and Organics, when they were still going. Um, in Calgary, I used to go to uh, Velvet, which is what, like, Velvet and Crimson, which is like that city's equivalent to like a kink community, like um, two civilians that are listening that are not really in that scene. It's uh, these are like biweekly or monthly meetups uh, in public venues that uh, like people that practice kink lifestyle or alternative lifestyle, anybody that's in the BDSM community, we come together uh, just to share in community. Like there'll be DJs or guest events, um, performances, like in Vancouver currently, I'll give them a plug, Rural Productions. They're on the North Shore. That's pretty awesome. So I've done that. Um there was a brief time, not many people know this, but there was a brief time that um, in my early 20s, uh, I would work with one of Vancouver's um, premier like mistresses at the time. She would uh, she would reach out to the dancer community and she'd let she'd be like, well, I'm hosting a private party. And I want to know if any of the girls are, like, into fetish or, like, kink culture. And if so, I have work for you. So I would do dungeon parties. Um, I don't know. I just, it's it's difficult. I wouldn't say that I'm, like, the typical out-out about it because, um, again, where I want to go in life, I can't wear, like, full pvc or liquid latex in the daylight (laughs) you know but trust me i have it in my wardrobe it's awesome (laughs) you know the right setting the right time um so yeah i i find them very accepting of people's like sexuality their expression um i i think i think several of my clients i would say are hoping I open up more, but I'm quite reserved. Like I, I would say I'm the type of woman that holds like a lot of space and power, but I'm not overt about it until I want to be. So I'm kind of like that wild card in the, in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Right. Like, but, uh, yeah, I just human sexuality. I really have gained such a respect and appreciation for over the years, it is still an enigma. It fascinates me. I, uh, I wonder if I should have done psychology. <laughs> I, I definitely pull a lot of psychology uh, and relationality into my practice as a sex worker. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know last we spoke, you were telling me that your soon-to-be flatmates are also sex workers. Um, and that yes. you met them through dancing. And that the three of you have some plans coming up. Do you want to talk on that? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll briefly talk about it. So, um, the woman that came up with it, her website is MiaNebula.com. Uh, we have been very good friends for several years. She, uh, affectionately re- calls me her work wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
Yeah, she came up with this idea. Um, her living space is very beautiful, very open concept, central to a downtown. Um, and it has uh, different areas of the house. Like, she is also very kink positive. I, I would say that's actually her specialty, honestly, because she's very much into domination. Um, so she came up with this idea that we would live stream uh, content from our penthouse. Uh, we have a pole up, we have different uh, like areas set up, like a bathroom and a kitchen and whatnot. And we have a third friend who actually, we met through dancing, but she's an independent porn star. Uh, yeah. It's Bianca Jinx on Instagram. So we got to talking about this. And uh, at least for the foreseeable future, we feel like this is a great opportunity not only to offer one centralized platform for people that want to subscribe and support our content, but also a way to see kind of inside the lives of sex workers because with mainstream media it's i'm sure that you can speak to this but it's it's very polarized right they either show a very very uh unrealistic glossed over glamorous high rolling woman typically or they will go to the opposite side of the spectrum and show someone that is not necessarily actually like an um an autonomous sex worker, but they typically conflate it a lot with drug addiction, uh, like complex trauma and trafficking and survival. Sex so, work. Yeah, precisely. And sometimes, um, well, not sometimes I think all the time, I think that's why the general public has such characterized and one dimensional ideas of us because they're like, Oh, well, you're either this or that. And I'm like, but I'm me. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree that I'm me? You've known me how long, or you've known me for this amount of time. Do I sound like that? Do I look like that? Do you really think I am like this? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I'm confused. That's what the public often sees. So our idea is, yeah, we still want to turn an income off this, but our hope is to be able to show um, that we are human beings, we are normal women, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to the project. Yeah, I love. I absolutely love that idea. Um, I it'll be fun. Yeah, there'll be lots of sex toys everywhere. That's the bane of my existence. I'm trying to make breakfast and like someone's waving a dong around. I'm like, why, please, please, why? <laughs> but I mean, there'll be a lot of fun too. <laughs> well, you'll have to keep us posted on where we can watch it when it's, when it comes out. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's most likely going to be hooked up to her website. I, uh, on my Instagram. So when you look me up on Instagram under Cordella Kosor, um, in my newsfeed, I did a plug of it and uh, you can see like a breakdown of some of like the menu. So 
if you're really kinky, there are certain things that you can request. If you simply want to subscribe and tip us, there's that. So, and also during COVID in the sex worker community, whatever, whatever subset you're in, there's a big move to uh, keeping our community safe and being accountable. There's a big move towards like virtual girlfriend experiences which is an interesting combination of camming, uh, phone sex, like essentially what you would do with your girlfriends during a typical week, right? So it's, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've had quite a lot of uh, response for that, actually. Oh, I can see it for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I just have three last quick questions for you. The first one mm-hmm. is, what is one thing you haven't done yet sexually, but you've wanted to try? Oh, my. Um, okay, so straight up, I have not had a three-way with two men, and that is on my hit list. You know it's on my hit list. <laughs> okay. You no. <know. laughs> she, put, she put the call out. She put the call out. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. What is something you have done or tried in bed that you would never try again? What I have done or would never do again. Um, that is a good question because, yeah, that's difficult. Um, so I myself have reservations around, like, either infantilizing a partner or having that put on me. You know what I mean? Cause like as a woman and a potential mother one day, I'm not comfortable with like the baby play. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's cool. That's fine. Everybody has needs. And I understand the rationale of like, um, I do understand like when people want to younger it's a release of responsibility sometimes and like being quote-unquote taken care of but like that's just not my thing and I'm not knocking anybody but like I don't want to put that in other people's heads you know Mm -hmm. no I yeah I, I get it and number three if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds what would you say I think that the world needs to appreciate the emotional labor that sex workers have done throughout the centuries, continue to do now, especially during this global pandemic, and acknowledge our legitimate place in the future. Love it. (laughs) Love it. All right. So that's pretty much it for this episode. Where can people find you, Cardella? Okay, so uh, my persona, Miss Cordella Casor, can be found on Instagram. Um, and also, if you'd like to contact me for communications, uh, it is my last name, Casor Cordella at gmail.com. Fabulous. And as you guys know, you can find me on Instagram at 50plusatip or email me at 50plusatip at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe on Google Play, Google Podcast, Stitcher, or Spotify. Review, star, tell me how much you love me. Thank you so much for joining me, Cordella.
Thank you very much for having me. Have a wonderful week and happy hoeing. Bye. Bye.